It's one of the deepest, richest, most important books of the Bible, Romans. In this message, join Pastor Chris Chadwick and learn more about what the Bible says in the book of Romans. As you are seated, would you take your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 6. Now, you're going to see in this text the word baptism repeatedly. I want to say this, that this text is not talking about water baptism like we have a baptistry. That's not what this text is doing. Uh, we, I said it this way earlier. This text, or this passage of Scripture has no water in it, or it's a dry text. There's just no water in this text. That's not what he's referring to. Paul is referring to, in Romans chapter 6, the, if you will, the spiritual, or we might even say it this way in the proper definition of the word, the mystical events that happen at salvation in a person's life. Now, it's imperative that we remember the context. Now, I, we've been preaching through Romans chapter 6, and, and I've done four messages between verse 1 and verse 11, taking the divi- major divisions of this passage. And, and we've kind of gone at a street level. This message will be um, kind of at like a 15,000-foot view, if you will. And we'll look at it a little more broadly than we would. We'll look at all 11 verses this morning, where we have been going very in detail. It's imperative, though, that we remember Romans chapter 5, and really chapter 3, verse 21 through 5, verse 21, is talking about the doctrinal issue. It's a division in Romans, the doctrinal issue of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Well, we have guests here today. What do you mean by justification, Pastor? Justification literally means Somebody, uh, in an elementary way, defined it as this, just as if I'd never sinned, which is a fine definition, it's just not as thorough as we've been. Justification literally means to be restored to how God viewed man before the fall of mankind. God created man to have perfect fellowship with him. Genesis chapter 1, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. I think it's verse 26. Genesis chapter 1 talks about that. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, Adam leading this charge, Adam and Eve chose to sin against God. They chose to violate God's word. At the moment that they sinned, every fiber of their DNA was contaminated. Every fiber aspect of our life was contaminated with sin. There, the Bible is very clear. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none in good standing with God. We are all, the Bible says, gone out of the way. We are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And what is, what is the Scripture talking about? In myself, in relationship to God, There is nothing good about me, which is a bummer condition to be in because it means there's nothing good I'm capable of doing because every fiber of my DNA is contaminated. But God in His goodness sent Jesus Christ to die for the sin of mankind. I'm totally contaminated. Every part of my being and our being collectively as mankind is contaminated, but God sent Jesus to die 
for the sin of mankind that we might be made, and here's the term the Scripture uses, we might be made righteous in God's eyes, not in our own. I mean, that's pretty powerful. Without Christ, I'm, every part of my being is totally contaminated, but with Christ, I am now made righteous in God's eyes. Well, that righteousness, we would say it this way, I am restored to the original relationship that God intended for man to have. That's what justification is. We, we sang it in the song, He Will Hold Me Fast. Justice has been satisfied. God demands justice. He is a just God. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for your sin and mine, justice has been satisfied. That's Romans chapter 3. That's Romans chapter 4. And that's Romans chapter 5. And you might say, well, justice has been satisfied, but pastor, do you know how badly I have sinned? Well, verse number 20 of Romans chapter 5 says this, for where sin did abound, abound means to be overabundant. In other words, you're a really jacked up sinner. You can point out to how bad you've done. People know you. Where sin did abound, I love this next phrase, Romans 5.20, grace did much more abound. No matter how big your sin has been, no matter how bad your failures when God's eyes have been, or in your own eyes have been, or your family eyes have been, where sin abounded, grace the grace of God is much more powerful than your sin. Can I get an amen in this crowd? Yeah, that's, what he's, that's awesome. So Paul is dealing with that because there were people who thought they could earn their way to heaven. They thought they could work their way to heaven. They thought if they tried hard enough and did enough and said enough good things and didn't say enough bad things, they thought if the end of the day, and here's where every religion goes wrong in the world other than orthodox biblical Christianity, they thought something along these lines, if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then I'm good with Jesus. And God says this, that all of your good deeds are as filthy rags and they cannot pay the price for any of your sin debt. There are no good deeds that will justify you. But Jesus Christ, by His grace, will. And it's a permanent justification. There's nothing you can do to ever be, once you're justified, once we use a biblical term sometimes, once you're saved, there's no way to ever be unsaved. It's eternal. The Bible says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The Bible says, elsewhere, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Over and over again, the Bible says, he that believeth on him is not condemned. Over and over again, God promises eternal life. And so, we've been dealing, chapter 5, with that. Well, Paul understands the nature of humanity. And people who think that uh, if we're not careful, oh, I'm saved, and I'm saved forever, and so I'll be good forever because I'm saved forever, so I can do whatever I want, live however I want, and God has to be happy with me. And so then Paul moves from the doctrine of 
salvation to the doctrine of sanctification in Romans chapter 6. Verse number 1, what shall we say then? Romans 6, 1, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. (coughs) Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin." For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul is writing here, and he's writing about the picture of baptism. I love artwork. I love, if you would ask my family, they would tell you on every family vacation just about, we're going to go to a museum or we're going to go to a uh, well-known art store. If there's an art studio in the area, we're going to go. I love to look at art. I love to see it. And this is why I like art. I I love paintings. I like sculptures. Um, I I like good art because it though not the real thing, reminds me of the real thing, or takes my mind to the real thing, or even pictures. Uh, This last week, I I should have put it up there, and I just forgot. (coughs) My dear friend Anthony King took a picture of us in 2016, and he sent it to me yesterday. And he goes, hey, look at this picture. What do you think? I said, when was that? He said, 2016, eight years ago. And I texted back, I have aged rapidly. I'm reminded I used to be younger. When I just look at myself on a day-to-day level, I don't think that I've gotten any older. I look fine. Debbie's like, man, we're getting old. Other than, you know, like the three gray hairs that I have, I feel as good as I've ever felt. When she calls me delusional and tells me I need help. But um, I saw that picture, and I'm like, dude, I have aged greatly. But it reminded me of something that was there. That's what artwork does. Its whole point is to remind us. And Paul is giving us an example of baptism here. And baptism is a reminder. Baptism is a picture, verse 1 to 3, of Christ's crucifixion. Baptism is a picture of Christ's crucifixion. Verse number one, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace would abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer there? And know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Baptism, when we baptize people, we'll baptize a, uh, one of our children tonight who's come to Christ. And, and when we baptize anyone, any person, baptism is a reminder, it is a picture of the reality that Jesus Christ died for your sin and mine. 
The Bible says he, he, he died for not ours only, talking about our sin, not for ours only, but also the sin of the entire world. Somebody can say, well, well, I don't think that Jesus died for my sin. No, if you sin, Jesus died for it. And only his blood is sufficient to pay God's requirement for your sin debt. And this passage is not only talking about Christ's crucifixion. Baptism is not only talking, I should say, about Christ's crucifixion. But baptism is also talking about our crucifixion with Christ. Now, I brought this up a couple of weeks ago, and I said this in the Great 30 service. I felt like there was some internal pushback. I mean, you, you listened to your pastor, you received it. There was no arguments after services. There never should be. But I felt like there was maybe a little bit like this is a deeper point. And then I heard from our community Bible study leaders that some people were struggling with this when I said that you are co-crucified with Christ. You were co-crucified with Christ. Every part of you was co-crucified with Christ. Look at verse number three. Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? The word baptized is another word. Another word we would use would be immersed, to be buried. See, baptism that we have in the, in the baptistry that we'll have tonight is a representation, uh, is a picture of what has spiritually already happened. It's just a picture. Baptism has no power, ability to save anyone. Some people say, I just need to get baptized. Or, Pastor, I got baptized in such and such church, I think I'm good. Friends, baptism does nothing for your salvation. Nothing. But it is a picture. And we are learning from our text that as a follower of Jesus Christ, I am every part of my, my being, spiritual being, before salvation was crucified with Christ. He's not talking about the flesh here. You say, why, why would you say he's not talking about the flesh? Because I still have it. It's here. It's getting older and slower and bigger and Everything else, it's the flesh that I have. My flesh was not crucified with Christ. My old man, the Bible says, was crucified. What's the old man? Is that the old nature? No, no. The old man is who I was before salvation. I am crucified. Look at verse number four. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20, the Bible says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I am crucified. I am crucified with Christ. When we have baptism, whenever there's somebody is being baptized, we are to be reminded that when that person stands in the water, it is a picture of the crucifixion of Christ and the crucifixion of ourselves. When they go under the water, it is a picture of the death of Christ, and it is also a picture of the, old, the death of the old man. And coming out of the water, it is a picture of the resurrection of Christ, and it is a picture of the new life that I have as a believer. 
The point of baptism, though symbolic, is greater than, simple, uh, than simply symbolism. The point of baptism uh, conti- continues for the believer because baptism is a picture of new life in Christ. Before Christ, I had an old life. I had an old man. There was a pre-salvation man. It was a pre-Jesus man. Baptism is a picture of the new man. It's a picture of the believer's submission to Christ. Look at verse number four. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. Buried with him means we are trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ alone to save us. If you're trusting in your efforts or your good works, then you're not buried with Christ Buried literally means that I put my faith for eternity in the person of Jesus Christ and no one else and nothing else. It's not Jesus plus my efforts. It's not Jesus plus my religion. It's not Jesus plus my giving away money. It's not Jesus plus anything. It is literally trusting only in the person of Jesus Christ. Somebody said to me one time, they said, Pastor, do you believe that only people who believe in Jesus can have a relationship with God and have eternal life? Absolutely. Do you believe that salvation is exclusive, Pastor, for people who believe in Jesus? Absolutely. Don't you believe that, Pastor, that salvation could come to people who are sincere in their faith and try really hard but don't believe in Jesus? Absolutely not. The Bible says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Salvation is exclusive to the follower of Jesus Christ. You say, that sounds very harsh in in our world. Pastor, come on, do you really believe that? I believe it because that's what the Bible teaches. And I understand with clarity that the Bible is the Word of God. You see, the believer's submission We also see in verse number four, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk or live in the newness of life. Newness means a qualitatively new life with the indwelling of Christ. My life is, the quality of it is different because I'm saved. I'm renewed in Christ. I become youthful again. I become young again. The Bible does not use these words old man and new man accidentally. No, there's, a, there's an old way of living that is, that is destructive and painful and, and ends in, destru- in, in, in death. But then there's a newness, a new quality of life with the indwelling of Christ. Being youthful. When a person comes to Christ, God empowers them to live in a totally new and fresh way. He doesn't remodel them. He makes them new. He doesn't put a new patch on an old pair of pants. He makes them new. Look at verse number 5. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. 
There's a newness of life, and that newness of life, uh, if, we are, if we truly believe in Christ and we are planted together in salvation, the likeness of His death, then we will live in the likeness, or the word likeness means resemblance or image. We will live in the resemblance or in the image of the resurrection of Christ. I will live that way. My life is to be, as a believer, a picture of new life in Christ. Well, why? Well, verse number 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Knowing this, or understanding that our old man, the old man was crucified with Christ on the cross. If you're saved, the old man was crucified with Jesus. All of him was crucified with Christ. Not some part of him. I am no longer, the new man is not under the control of sin. The new man might be under the influence of sin, but I am not controlled. The old man is dead. The new man is alive. I'm alive, verse number 6, the old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. Now, i, I got to do some work here. The word destroyed means to be rendered inactive or idle or useless, ineffective, to be done away with. The body, the word destroyed does not mean that we will ever attain. Some people teach that we can attain to a position of what's called sinless perfection where a person never sins anymore. That is not what this verse is talking about. And by the way, nowhere in Scripture does it talk about that. We will never arrive to a place of sinless perfection. Though we are not under the power or control of sin, we are under its influence and we will sin. That's why we have 1 John chapter 1 verses 7 to chapter 2 verse number 2 that talks about that. My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not, but if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation or the substitutionary payment for our sin, and not for ours only, but also for the sin of the whole world. We are going to sin, unfortunately, but when we sin, we need to get that right with Jesus and seek forgiveness and be made right. So he is not talking here in verse number six that, the, that sin will be destroyed from our life and we can ever attain to a level of sinless perfection. I've heard people tell me, Pastor, I can go two, three days at times without sinning. To which I say, I doubt it. And I think that was probably pride, so there you go, you just sinned. We will always be under its influence until the Lord returns, that we are not under its control. Verse number six says this, knowing this, the old man is crucified with him, the body of sin might be destroyed, that we should not serve sin. We should not be enslaved to sin, controlled by sin. This, word, this phrase that we should not serve sin is often a word used to describe involuntary service. In life, I, before moving to San Diego, I never really had much association with the Navy. Washington State, I was raised around an army base and an air force base, and 
Amarillo, Texas, there wasn't really <coughs> any uh, military at all, so I wasn't around. I moved to San Diego, and I learned really quickly that this is a Navy town. I, I understood there were Navy bases when I moved here, but I didn't know how many there were and how many sailors there were. And then I had to learn a whole new way of talking because there's never been a sailor that can speak without you throwing in at least two or three acronyms. And normally, the younger they are, the more acronyms they throw out there, you know, especially those ones that are really motivated. They give you all the acronyms, like, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't know what your DFCSW means. What, what, what are you talking about? And, and then they would have to explain that to you. And then it wasn't long before one old crusty former sailor came to me, and he goes, Pastor, do you know what Navy stands for? And I, 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 I knew I was going to get it wrong. Because I knew he had a secret thought that he wasn't sharing with me, and so I just claimed ignorance at the beginning, and I said, I, I really don't know what Navy stands for. What does it stand for? He goes, never forget it. It means never again volunteer yourself. To which I said, oh, okay. I was like, are you saying it was a mistake for you to join the Navy? And he said, Pastor, what does Navy stand for? I said, got it. Got it. Involuntary service. That's what I called chores as a child. I never really chose to do. My mom never said, Chris, why did you take out the trash and vacuum the floor and mow the lawn? And like, oh, mom, I was just trying to be a blessing to you. It was more like this in my life. Christopher, if your room's not clean, if this floor's not vacuumed, if that trash isn't empty, and if that lawn's not mowed in the next 10 minutes, let me just tell you, we're going to have one less child, and your dad and I are okay with it. Oh, you're going to kill Tim if I don't? No, 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 son. He'll be fine. Your sister will be fine, but your death will be quick. That's because we love you. No, it, was, it, was, it was at times involuntary. Here's what he means, that we should not be enslaved to or controlled by sin. I believe this, that most people really don't want to sin, but before salvation, you, you, you're under the control. And he says that, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that we should not serve sin, that we will not be controlled by sin. I want to be careful here. But we have to do this work in the Word or else we don't give the meat of the Word. Um, when you were crucified, or let me rephrase, when you were saved, every part of your old man was crucified with Christ. Every part. There is this idea that just a part of me was crucified. I grew up in church, for those of you that don't know, and in growing up in church, I've heard a lot of illustrations that people give to try to help folks understand the text and I, and, or a principle or whatever, and I get all of that. One very common, and I've heard it multiple, multiple times, and if you're in church, you probably have too, or maybe you have, I don't know, but it's very common. I heard it many times growing up, and it goes something like this. There was a missionary that back in the 1800s that met an Indian, a Native American Indian chief who was a believer. He converted to Christ. And so the missionary asked him, said, you converted to Christ. I did. What's it like being a Christian? The missionary asked that chief. Well, 
it, it, it's something like a black dog inside of me and a white dog inside of me, and they're always fighting. Some of you are nodding your heads because you've heard this illustration. And then the missionary asked the chief, well, which dog wins? And the chief goes, the one I feed the most. And then it's a message on like reading your Bible or spending time in prayer or listening to godly music, which are all great principles. They're all absolutely wonderful. You, you say, Pastor, do you have a problem with that? I do. Well, what's the problem? It's a spiritual fallacy. What do you mean? When you got saved, the old man died. Salvation is not simply about addition. Salvation is about transformation. At the point of salvation, God did not add Jesus to your life. He took away the old man and gave you new life. You became a total new creature. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 17. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The word creature, we could, uh, just for the sake of understanding, say it this way. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old creation passed away. Now all things have become new. It's a new creation. If any man is a Christian, if any man puts their faith and trust in only Jesus Christ to save them, repenting of their sins, then they are, then they are completely and totally transformed. The moment you were converted, you were regenerated, regenerated to, to make new. You were saved the black dog inside of you, if you want to say that, was there, no doubt about it. But the moment you got saved, he died. There's a new man inside of you, and he's still under the influence of sin, but he should be under the control of the Savior. You are a new creation. In verse 8 to 11. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, in the same way, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thirdly, baptism is a picture of the new life every Christian should have. Now, baptism in the water, you're standing in there, it represents the death of Christ. I am identifying with the death of Christ. I am a picture, an inadequate representative, but a picture nonetheless of Christ on the cross. As I go under the water, I am a picture of the burial of Christ, of Christ in the tomb. As I come out of the water, I'm a picture of the resurrection of Christ. I am to remind you of the resurrection. Not only the person being baptized, but the local church, which is the, the authoritative agency that has the authority to baptize, is to remind the local church of the fact that Christ died, was buried, and rose again for the sin of mankind. And my new life represents, in verse 8 and 9, that sin no longer controls me. 
We are dead with Christ. Now we have to, now we don't have to, now we get to live with Christ. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death has no more dominion, no more control over him. Because if we're dead with Christ, we're going to live with him. And not only am I alive, notice verse number 10. He that liveth, but in he that liveth, he liveth unto God. I'm alive unto God. I live to, I I live, I, I pass my time. I'm invigorated. I'm fully engaged in God. What excites me is the Lord. What excites me are the things of God. What excites me are the people of God. And seeing people walk with God. That's what excites me. Because why? Because I'm living unto God. Verse number 11. In, in what, likewise, or in everything I just said about Jesus, that's what he's talking about. Reckon or consider ye also yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive unto God. We do a really good job. Even, I'm condemning, I'm I'm challenging myself with this statement. We do a really good job as preachers of saying things like this. Deal with the sin in your life. Walk in righteousness. Don't live in sin. And because it is so prevalent and so easy, we could talk about it for days and weeks on end. The sin that is in the world. The porn that is in the world. The promiscuity. The sexual sin that is in the world. The the drunkenness that is in our world. The the debauched lives that we have. And we don't have to go too far. Just down the street a little bit to see the effect of sin in our world. I mean, we see it in a very tangible way, do we not? Through people whose lives are being totally ravaged by sin. And we say, don't sin, don't sin. And we mention them and mention them and mention them. But Paul doesn't say that the antidote for, to stop sinning is simply stop sinning. That Paul says that the antidote or the opposite of a life lived for sin is being alive unto God or being fully engaged in the Lord. It is... The Christian's responsibility and joy to be fully engaged in the Lord. Much more than your hobbies. I have some hobbies I enjoy. I enjoy working out. At my age, I enjoy sleeping when I can. I enjoy learning new things. We were on the pastoral staff retreat this week. We went on a, what I would say is an extreme hike, a 2,100, I believe, 40-foot elevation gain uh, in about a two-mile span. It was almost like we were walking up a ladder, it felt like, for two miles. Charlie Hughes, 74 years old, he went with us. Don't get too excited. We carried him the whole way. Um, <laughs> No, he, he, not at all. He was amazing. And we kept saying, Charlie, you want to turn back? And, and, uh, 
We said that at the quarter-way mark and the halfway mark and the two-thirds way mark. And then about the three-quarter way mark, and Charlie's my brother-in-law, if you don't know. And if he dies, then somebody's got to take care of my sister, so she'll be on the open market. And, um, and I said to Charlie, I said, uh, hey, do, do you want to go back? He said, I'm going to make it if it kills me. And today, he said, it almost killed me. <laughs> I like hiking. Now, I mean, if there's something to see, there was something to see there. Some of you like hiking and you just go walk around. That's just called a walk. That's not a hike. And I like hiking if there's something to see. I enjoy going to new places, visiting new things. I, I enjoy hobbies. But verse number 11, the thing that should bring life to me. Again, that word means to pass one's life, to invigorate or excite me, is God. If you're a businessman at Canyon Ridge, the thing that excites you, though exciting, ought not simply to be the next big sale. For some of you, it's not the next big promotion. Ladies, it's not the new designer, whatever. It's not the vacation. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with being excited about those things, but the, the idea of the word alive means to live for those things. If I'm living for the new fill-in-the-blank, if that's what's my purpose and my passion, I'm living, here's how Paul would say it, like a dead man. Because the thing that should invigorate me are the things of God. I love my wife dearly. Been married 27, almost 28 years, 27 and a half years, a little over half years. And, and I think that she probably lives for me more than I live for her, though I, I really I, I love being with her, love her immensely. But if she brings me more life than God, then it's wrong. I need to be invigorated by the Lord. Some of you are like, I come, I do my duty, I go home, and that's where real life happens. Paul says, no, no, if you're a believer, consider yourself dead to sin and alive, invigorated by God. Doesn't mean that there's not some things that we enjoy on the side. Doesn't mean that there's some things that we don't enjoy uh, that are pleasurable and even make us think of God. I love artwork, but artwork doesn't bring me alive. What should bring me alive is the Lord Himself. I'm alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The only way that I could have this relationship with my Creator, the only way that I could have a relationship with the God who spoke this world into existence in six literal days, the only way that I could have that is because of the work of the person of Jesus Christ. There's no other way. No other means other than through Christ. So, baptism here is talking about a union that we have spiritually that is given by God at the moment of salvation 
in the life of the believer. As a matter of fact, people often ask me, Pastor, how can I know for sure that I am saved? And we try to take them to some Scripture to be a comfort and a help and a guide. But the reality is there'll be a lot of people that spend eternity in hell who pray to prayer. The Bible is very clear about that. There'll even be people who will be cast in outer darkness, and they'll argue with God, saying, God, you don't understand. You got this wrong. In your name, we cast out devils, and in your name, we did many marvelous works. I mean, they, they truly believe that they're saved. Well, pastor, how can I know for sure that I am saved? The Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But I'll, I'll tell you, one of the ways to know that you're saved is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. The question that I would ask, for you, or ask of you today is this question. Has your desire for things changed since the point of salvation? Do you want to learn about God? Do you want to learn about the things of God? Does sin bother you? When, you're sinning, when you sin, which we all do, does that bring grief to your soul? Or before your salvation, you could go to the gas lamp, get lit up on Friday night and consider it fun. And after, quote, your prayer, you could still go to the gas lamp, get lit up on Friday night and have fun. After salvation, you're guilty because you know it's sin, but you still enjoy it. You can't wait to do it again. And I use that as an illustration. Don't lose the truth of it because of the illustration. I'm just trying to illustrate what we mean, that after salvation, we are to be distinct and different. And it's not something you can produce on your own. It is a production of the Spirit of God. The Bible says it this way, Galatians chapter 5, verse number 22. I got a new Bible, so you have to give me a second to get there. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 18. If ye be led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Here's the flesh, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. The primary, one of the primary works of the flesh, and do we not see this in our world? Sexual sin. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Then it goes spiritual. Idolatry. Witchcraft. And, and then it goes personal. Hatred. Variance. Emulations. Wrath. Strife. Fighting. Seditions. Heresies. Envy, murder, drunkenness, reveling, and such like of which I tell you before, as I've told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. This is pre-salvation. This is where we were. If you're in Christ, these things They ought to sicken us. They ought to bother us. They ought to disturb us. You say, hey, Pastor, are you just being extreme about it? 
I don't know how you could say we're being extreme when it says the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. But the fruit of the Spirit, if you claim to be a Christian and you don't have any of these, I'm wondering. And it's fruit, it's singular. This is what the Spirit produces. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against us there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. You're crucified if you're Christ at the point of salvation. But if you're really a Christian, you're going to continue on the path of sanctification for the rest of your life until Christ takes you home. Baptism is a picture of the new life every Christian should live. So what does this mean for the believer? I wrote four things down that it means to the believer. This is not an exhaustive list. I just thought it was helpful. Number one, I think differently. As a Christian, I think differently. The natural man, the unsaved man, receive not the things of God, for they are foolishness unto him, for the things of God are spiritually discerned. We think differently as Christians. That's why you can read the news and go, what are they thinking? Why are they doing that? We think differently. Romans 12, 2, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The old way of thinking about sin and pleasure is dead. Not only do I think differently, I talk differently. The, the way that I talk is different. I have stuff to say. I'm just letting you think about the way you talked this week. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. Did the words that came out of your mouth this week edify and build up and bring grace to the hearers? Oh, isn't this a constant struggle for so many of us? And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, talking about our tongues, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. But pastor, you don't know the kind of home I was raised in. Wait a minute, that was the old man who's been crucified, you're a new man in Christ. Well, Pastor, I'm in the never again volunteer yourself branch of the service, and you've heard cussing like a sailor. I've never heard cussing like a Christian, though. But come on, it's 2020. I've even heard pastors cuss from the platform. It doesn't make it right. I talk differently. I talk, I'm under conviction about this all the time. As a guy who thinks he's funny, I come too close to the edge far too often. And God, this is a constant source of conviction in my life. Number three, I enjoy serving God. 
If I'm truly redeemed and alive unto God, I find great joy in serving God. That's what the psalmist said in Psalm 100, verse number 2, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence of singing. Serve the Lord with gladness. I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to be bitter. I'm not going to be frustrated. I'm not going to be upset about serving the Lord. I can't wait to serve the Lord. If I'm a new creation in Christ, then I want to be happy serving the Christ who saved me. And I understand that some people are like, Pastor, I'd serve a little more. I'm super busy in life. I get all that. I want to give a tremendous amount of grace to that. But can I tell you, I, I just internally, I, I, I am concerned for people who profess to be believers and do minimal, if any, service to the Lord at all. Why? Well, Romans chapter 6, verse number 16 in our text, you can read it with me. Know you not that to whom you yield or submit yourselves to, know you not that to whom you yield yourself servant to obey, his servant you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness? You're going to serve somebody. You're going to serve something. That's the idea of this verse and this passage. I can't wait to get to it. Who are you submitting yourself to? And then fourthly, if I'm truly saved, I'm going to love differently. John 13, 35, by this shall I know you're my disciples if you have love one to another. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the charity chapter or the love chapter. And this is not a, we often read this passage in respect to uh, people's marriage, but that's not, this was written in relationship to, to, or in regards to relationships within the local church. The Bible says in verse number four of chapter 13, charity or love suffers long. It's, love is kind. It, charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave itself unseemly. It does not seek its own. It is not easily provoked. It does not think evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity. It rejoices in truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopeth all things, constantly hoping for things to get better. It endureth all things, and love never fails. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. You love differently. So I have to ask the question, do you have new life in Christ? Have you been saved? Not do you come to church. I'm glad you're here. Not can you read the Bible or own one. I'm glad you do, and I'm glad you can. Not did you sing a few songs. I love that. But are you truly redeemed? Have you put your faith and trust in Christ alone? Only Jesus. Do you have new life in Christ? If no, come to Jesus today. Today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Well, I want to think more about it. Well, that's great. I want you to think about it. We want to answer your questions about it. But understand, you'll never get saved without faith. So I've had people tell me, I want to know everything about God before I trust Him. You'll never know everything about God. You have to believe by faith. Again, we want to answer questions, and we can. 
But we want you to understand it's by faith. Put your faith and trust in Christ today. If you have done that, have you followed the Lord and believers' baptism? Baptism is a picture of everything I just preached every time it happens. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 10, verse number 32, He who confesses me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. That confession in our world is primarily done through baptism. It lets the whole world know that I truly am a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you caught it this earlier, Adrian was talking about the celebration service that they had today, which was 15 hours ago or 16 hours ago for us, in Cambodia. And they bring all the village churches that they have, and they all come to Phnom Penh, to Pacific Baptist Church in Phnom Penh, and, and they have a big service. And 13 people were baptized today. And we go, man, that's great, that's wonderful, that's awesome. But you you got to understand, baptism in Cambodia is, is the deep demarcation line. It's the DMZ of the Christian walk. You cross over into baptism, now persecution will happen. Now families will reject you. He'll probably tell some stories about that tonight. You need to be here to hear it. Now, when you get baptized in Cambodia, now the, the difficulties really start. I think baptism is so easy in America, so people are like, oh, I'll do it whenever. No, no. God expects you to be a follower of His, and the first step of obedience is the step of baptism. Well, Pastor, are you saying that? No, we don't, because you get something out of it? No, we don't get any gold stars. Nobody writes us a letter. Does nothing uh, intrinsically for me other than the great joy of seeing people walk in truth. Are you baptized? Have you followed the Lord in believers' baptism? It is one of two ordinances in the church. When Jesus left, he left us two. One is the Lord's table, and the other one is baptized. Baptism, one we celebrate corporately, the Lord's table. One we celebrate individually under the authority of the church, baptism. If you've not been baptized, you need to talk to myself or Pastor Lund or Zane Garza or Charlie Hughes, and we need to get you on the schedule to be baptized. And number three, Christian, are you living in the newness of life or in the oldness of death? Are you living like you lived before salvation or after? Is your life any different because you're a Christian? Any different than the world's? Sometimes it's a little difficult in a culture that is Christianized. I know our country is not what it once was morally, but we still have a lot of Christian values that are here. That's why I chose what I chose. Do you think differently than you did before salvation? Do you talk differently than before salvation? Do you find joy in serving the Lord, which is different than before salvation? And do you love differently? Christian, it might be that God has, and those are just illustrations, God could work on you however He chooses during this time of reflection that we're about to have, it's an opportunity to get some things right between you and the Lord, being alive unto God. Thank you for listening. Hear more messages today at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a service. 
We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time.